we're going to have a candid discussion laying out some critical issues, some important things to think through when it comes to race and racism. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, this is Michael Brown. Welcome to the Line of Fire. I won't be taking calls today. This is the third and last day where I'm teaching a class all day for the King's University on contemporary anti-Semitism. These were scheduled classes many, many months ago, but we have to do them by Zoom now because things are not fully back on schedule because of the COVID-19 issues. But it also means we had to pre-record shows. So I am recording this show on June 11th. I'm just giving you the context. So This is just a few days back, but if there's major news that happened between June 11th and today or major news taking place today, I'm obviously not covering that, nor can I take your calls. But I think you're going to find today's broadcast to be really helpful, full of insight, edifying, and challenging. Now, I've been on the air, daily talk radio, by God's grace, for 12 years now, and I know it's an important calling in my life. There are many other things I'm called to as well, but this is very important. It has a major focus of our entire team on a daily basis. And doing talk radio, you have a great benefit of learning from your audience. In other words, if if I'm just getting up and preaching a sermon somewhere and then leaving, or if I'm doing a TV show where we record a series of teachings and air them on TV, as I've done many times on, on different TV networks, Christian networks and the like. So... I'm ministering, and then we'll get reports back. Thank you for the broadcast; it really helped, et cetera, et cetera. Or I differ with you on this, whatever. But normally, appreciation, and then you know, always the hate mail. But a lot of appreciation, good feedback. The Lord used you. Thank you. Okay, that's great. That's part of what we do. But talk radio, we interact. Talk radio, I talk about something, and you can call in, Doctor Brown. I think you're wrong here. Hey, I've got this perspective, or or I'll just find out what a lot of people are thinking or hearing in, in a living way. Through talk radio. It's interesting. I was reading one book that explained that many conservative talk radio hosts were, were confident that Trump was going to win in 2016, whereas the mainstream media, even some of the conservative media, was saying, looks like Trump's going to lose or Trump's definitely going to lose. And what happened was a lot of the talk show hosts were, were hearing from their listeners. And those listeners represented a cross-section of people that ended up getting Trump in the White House. So listening and interacting gets me out of my normal circle. In other words, I've, I've had plenty of friends from many, many different backgrounds. I've been out of America about 200 times overseas. So, you know, been to India 27 times and Italy 27 times and, you know, many other, you know, from South Korea to England to Germany to the Philippines to Mexico to, to Hong Kong to Singapore, all around the world. And, and spent thousands of hours, quality hours, probably about three years of my life spent overseas and in different cultures, interacting, learning, and, and then having so many students from around the world in our school over the years. But that's a certain circle still. Now, when we're on talk radio, you're calling in from many other different backgrounds where we might not intersect. 
and sharing more of your experiences with me. So it's been really helpful to process that and to learn from it and to, to factor that in to my thinking. Now, obviously, if you have a biblical view that I differ with, I differ with it. All right, but if you have a life experience that's different than my life experience and, and your background is something I'm not familiar with, now, great, I can factor that in and learn a little bit more about different cultures and things like that. Here, let, let me ask you this question, all right? How many Native Americans have you talked to? I mean, full-blooded Native Americans, not someone with like, you know, <clears throat> 120th Native American in their blood, but full-blooded Native Americans, how many have you talked to that were, say, raised on a reservation in America? Most of us, it would be very few, right? Some of our grads have ministered for years and years and years. They, they relocated, they're giving their lives for uh, a res, you know, different reservations in different parts of America. And the, it, it's hard, it is beyond heartbreaking to hear the situations and the level of alcoholism and the level of depression and the level of suicide and the hopelessness and the sense of betrayal. And well, where else are you gonna get that perspective? You know what I'm saying? In, unless you're talking with people and living with people, if you're from the inner city and all your friends are from the inner city, then you have a very different perspective than someone that grew up, say, in the suburbs or someone that grew up in a wealthy part of the city or, and, and vice versa. So we educate ourselves. It doesn't mean we agree with everything, but we hear and we process. Now through social media, we can do that as well. So I posted this, uh, let's see, it was the night of June 10th on our Facebook page. So almost 600,000 followers there. To my black brothers and sisters uh, in Jesus, oh, it says, and Jesus, should say in Jesus, please share your thoughts with your white brothers and sisters here as part of the same family and one together in Jesus. So my goal was very, very simple. Uh, my goal was simply this, to say, okay, I, I want to hear your perspective, and I want you to share it with other brothers and sisters in the Lord, all right? So here's what I asked for. I said, if you've been following my articles and broadcasts, you know that I take strong exception to the Black Lives Matter movement because of its radical social agenda, and I refuse to bow my knees to mobocracy. At the same time, I absolutely want to show my solidarity to my black friends in times of pain and frustration, and I want to be an ally to combat racism wherever we find it. But I have friends of mine who are pastors and are finding this a very difficult line to walk since the rejection of the Black Lives Matter movement and the mob mentality is being perceived as lack of solidarity and standing against injustice. So what would you say to your white friends who stand with you against racism and injustice but will not bow down to the Black Lives Matter movement? Thank you for your input and your solidarity as we stand united in Jesus. Now, you might say, Mike, don't do this because the moment you do, there's going to be misunderstanding. You're, you're, you're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. Someone's going to agree with you. Someone's going to disagree with you. Hey, look, I, I'm not trying to chart some course of being popular or chart the, the course of least resistance. I'm trying to honor the Lord. And we as gospel people have to communicate honestly. And that's one of the things I've asked for. Look, what, with the, the killing of Trayvon Martin by George Zimmerman, we talked that through the killing of Michael Brown by the police officer in Ferguson, my namesake. We talked that through. Uh, various things. Look, when, when President Obama was elected, 
I asked, call, I asked black callers to call in, even though I did not vote for Barack Obama and had grave concerns about his presidency. I asked black callers to call in the next day to ask what it meant to them. because I wanted to hear perspective. This is a historic moment. Our first black president, even if I differ with his policies and issues, I, I, I want to hear from people and get perspective. So if we don't listen to each other, we're not going to learn from each other. We may listen, process, and disagree on something. That's fine. But what, what I want to be able to do when, when I'm in the midst of a controversy is I want to hear your viewpoint and understand it sufficiently that I could get up and pre- present it publicly as if it was mine and you would think it was mine. I once did a debate with myself on Calvinism versus Arminianism. That's right. There was a gathering of five, 600 college and career age Christians in Charlotte, North Carolina, a regular unity group meets together. I was asked to come in and do a series of teachings. And the last one, I was going to debate myself. So I gave a passionate 15-minute presentation of Calvinism, why it was biblical, and, and, and why it was the right understanding of God's plan of salvation, followed by a 15-minute passionate presentation of Arminianism and why it was biblical and why it was God's plan of salvation. And then I said, now, let me explain how in the midst of our differences, we can work together as one in the Lord. And that was my presentation. Then I had people guess what my own view was. And maybe two-thirds said Arminian, which I am. So they got that right. But one woman came up to me after she said, no, I can tell you're a Calvinist. I know you're really a Calvinist. Well, that's the goal. So I want to be able to hear and understand your position so I could present it to you and you say, brother, you've got it. Dr. Brown, you've got it. Then I can say, okay, here's where I disagree. Here's where I agree. Or here's where I have further questions. Are we so insecure that we can't do that? Are we? I'm, again, I'm not trying to prove, look at how woke I am. I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm seeking to honor the Lord and serve you. And I'm encouraging you to do the same thing, to sit down and have conversations with people of different color, of different ethnicity, of different economic background, of different spiritual background, of different perspective, and to sit down and to have honest conversations. Now, I have recommended something. And I'm going to start going to your comments here in, in a moment uh, on the Facebook page. I'm going to read them, some that I found very helpful or, or that I thought, good, good presentation of, of, of your position. But I have friends of mine who pastor large multiracial churches, all right? I, I mean, many, many, many different nations. The leadership has many, many different colors and backgrounds. The worship team, many different colors and backgrounds. Diverse worship music on the worship team because there's so many different cultures represented. And it's just a reflection of who they are. And generally, in cases like this, the pastor will not address political issues much at all. And there, I understand that. It's not compromise. It just it would explode because of the different perspectives. Now, they will address issues. They will address cultural issues, moral issues. They may say, okay, here's where we stand biblically on these issues of life, family, and, and, and babies in the womb, and so on, and, and, and racism. Here's where we stand biblically. Now, here's where different candidates stand that you vote accordingly. But what I have suggested is that when you're coming around election time, and you have a multiracial congregation, to get some articulate folks up, 
black folks, white folks, Asian folks, Hispanic folks, whatever your, your large makeups are, and have them each explain, say for the president or who they're voting for and why. You said explode everything. No, I, my hope is that you got brothers together doing this that you'll understand. Because you've got folks right now, this has been for years, I have no, uh, no way possible, it is impossible, impossible for you to be a Christian and support Donald Trump. No, no, it is impossible for you to be a Christian and not vote for Donald Trump. It is impossible to be a Christian and vote Democrat. It is impossible to be a Christian and vote Republican. I mean, you have such passionate arguments. Well, let's sit down as brothers and sisters who are one in Jesus and lay out our issues on the table. Let's do it in the workplace. So you go first, and when that person's talking, you listen, try to understand. And then you share your view, they do the same. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on The Line of Fire. Michael Brown, this show is pre-recorded on June 11th, if you just tuned in, so I'm not taking calls today and any breaking news today. We're not covering either, but we're continuing to discuss the issue of racial division in America. And I asked on Facebook on June 10th, the evening of June 10th, I asked for input from my black brothers and sisters to, when I say brothers and sisters, I mean in, in the Lord, fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus, to speak to white brothers and sisters, especially pastors, who do not want to bow down to the mob, who have grave differences with some of the platform of Black Lives Matter, but who say Black Lives Matter. How do you navigate this? So I asked for some input, and, and it, it's wide-ranging wide-ranging, and only a few comments were so extreme that they just had to be removed. Otherwise, great discussion and, and a lot of good input. Uh, so Bishop Ricky said this, it's a situation where it can't be understood by someone white. It has to be lived to understand the full effect. However, we are a royal priesthood and a chosen generation, and so are you. But I've learned how to live holy. I've learned how to live right. I've learned how to suffer, but when I suffer, I'll gain eternal life. But when I see Jesus, amen, we all just need to get along. Now, some took exception to that saying, hey, I've suffered things as an ethnic minority or for other reasons, I've suffered X, Y, Z, and I'm not black. So how are you saying I can't understand? So there was very good civil under, uh, conversation because this this bishop was 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 not saying it in a confrontational way, but in a way of calling for unity. Uh, let's see. Uh, Kim Seth said, asking for the what and how is not appropriate because we are needing to look to the who, the person of Jesus, and see him in the scriptures as also the why of why we are reconciled together as people under faith. Pastors are the great reconcilers of our generation, that their light shine in such a time as this. David said, I would commend them for their courage for resisting the massive groupthink psyop, so psychological warfare, being pushed by the media and corrupt politicians and preachers. Hmm. So here is a black brother saying, I'm commending these other pastors for not bowing down to the mob. In other words, since when 
do Christian leaders need to prove their allegiance to God or their stance for righteousness or their hatred of sin or injustice by bowing the knee to a mob? And by a mob, I'm not talking about peaceful protesters. By a mob, I'm not talking about people who are hurting and saying, show us solidarity. I'm talking about the rioters and the looters and the intimidators. I'm talking about the cancel culture where you, you like one tweet that's controversial and you're out. You're banned. I'm telling you, friends, this is really dangerous stuff. At the same time, if we feel to march, if we feel to be part of a protest, we can't say, well, I'm not going to do it because, because the mob, I don't want to be associated with the mob. You have to do what's right because it's right. Not, not because how it looks, but to honor the Lord. Uh, let's see. Um, minor, you belong to the kingdom of God. You are to live by kingdom rules, not here to please the world. Know your identity as God. Know who you are and whose you are. A new heart changes everything. So some strongly spiritual perspectives. Um, there are some, though, that, that from my black brothers and sisters that really articulated things that I felt were very helpful. Uh, let's see. This is Error SC. For the people reading this, thank you for standing in solidarity with the black community. Mourn with those who mourn. Acknowledge the pain. Make your voice of solidarity and comfort louder than your criticism of BLM, meaning the Black Lives Matter movement. Wow. Let's, let's hear that one again. For the people reading this, thank you for standing in solidarity with the black community. Mourn with those who mourn. Acknowledge the pain. Make your voice of solidarity and comfort louder than your criticism of BLM. Boy, those are great comments. Those are great comments. Now, now look, I, I want to bring in another perspective here for a moment, okay? There are many who are watching what's happening in society today and saying, look, this is like a communist hijacking. This is like a takeover. This is anarchy. This is mobocracy. And, and, and the people being used, black Americans are being used as pawns by people who have a destructive agenda, both white and black, and, and people of other color and ethnicity. That they're being used as pawns, and, and they're being set up and manipulated by the media, and, and, and we, we need to shout that out. Now, to some extent, there's no question that there are other forces at work. And of course, the devil, we understand Satan trying to divide and destroy. We understand that. But there's no question that there are forces of anarchy and radical socialism and, and various other radical ideologies. People who espouse these things are absolutely at work to wreak havoc on America. And they are using this opportunity. They are seizing this opportunity for their purposes. There's no question about that. But friends, without the outside agitators, our black brothers and sisters, many are hurting in America right now. And many are, many are feeling like society is telling them your life doesn't matter or your life doesn't matter to, to a white person. That's what many feel. And there is historic pain and, and, and certain things dig up pain. Look, why are Jews so sensitive to issues of anti-Semitism? It's because they don't occur in a vacuum, right? Th th there is a history and, and the Holocaust was the worst part of the history, but there is a history of centuries before the Holocaust. And right now around the world, anti-Semitism, violent acts against Jewish people. 
so it, it's one of those things where there is an extreme sensitivity in the Jewish community to anti-Semitism. So when it raises its head, you might say, oh, that's a big deal. Everybody gets attacked or everybody gets maligned. Well, it doesn't always lead to extermination attempts or, or exiles and, and things like that and, and horrific treatment and imprisonment and torture and burning of villages and, and on and on and on. Well, in the same way, there's a sensitivity because of, of, of American black history. There's a sensitivity there. So if, if there is a perceived unlawful killing of a black person that is now covered up by the law, well, that brings up the lynchings and other things, right? So let's, let's have understanding that there's context for all this, all right? Um, let's see here. Okay, just scrolling down. Um, boy, a couple of comments really got my attention, and I will, I will grab them here. Uh, here's one. I appreciate your effort here, Dr. Brown. But there can never be an honest discussion as long as the term system, systemic racism is used because it's too vaporous. Based on feeling rather than fact allows for constant misuse, never-ending false accusations of racism, and the perfect political manipulation tool. It's a shadow, not a substance, and substance is the only thing we can grab onto for making real change. All right, now, here's the issue. Here's the issue. And I may be reading some comments that are not just from our black friends on Facebook, because that's what I asked for. I asked for input. I've asked for input from, you know, hey, if you're a woman, I need your input. If you're a father, I need your input. You know, I want to hear from certain segments, but obviously everyone can comment, all right? So here's the question. If one group of people, black and white, refers to systemic racism, and another group of people, black and white, says there's no such thing as systemic racism in America today. Okay, are they talking about the same thing? Are they here? I used the word social justice positively the other day, and people came at me and said, "You support Marxist ideology." I said, "No, I'm. I mean, biblical justice, but I'm. They're using the word social justice one way. I'm saying, well, I'm going to use it the right way for biblical justice. Okay. Point taken. Point learned. Be more careful in my terminology so I'm not misunderstood. Because I thought, well, you're not just going to take a term and hijack it. We'll use it and make it biblical. But what do you mean by the term? And, and, and how do you understand it? Are, are, you, are you saying that there are, within the, the police system and, and, and law enforcement that there's systemic racism? In other words, that within the system itself, there are white cops who target black victims and, and, and a systemic thing. Is that what you mean by it or do you mean something else? So when words are used, we should ask questions. What do you mean by that? Could you define that? Could you give examples of that? And then you, you push back. Again, you may come to agreement. At least you'll have more understanding. Uh, Angela, we are Christians first. We cannot align ourselves with the ungodly no matter what they appear to be standing up for. We don't need BLM to stand up for justice. However, don't use the ungodliness of BLM to back away from confronting racism. I would say this is the most constant refrain that I, that I hear. We cannot allow the radical nature of the Black Lives Matter movement. We cannot allow the rioters and the looters. We cannot allow the mobocracy to stop us from standing up for what is right. We cannot be so put off by the negative extremes that we 
refuse to do what is right and where there is racism, when there is injustice, that we confront it. And look, at the very least, let's just understand history and context and wounds. Let's just understand how things are perceived. One thing that really helped me over the years was hearing from African-American callers for years and years and years, regular listeners, people who love me, people who respect me, people who honor me, but would say, Dr. Brown, you didn't live where we lived. You didn't grow up where we lived, grew up. You didn't experience what we experienced. And when I hear from enough people like that, I recognize, okay, that is a cross-section of America, because it's from across the country that I'm hearing these things, and it's over the years, it's a representative cross-section of an experience different than mine that I now need to factor in as I look at things in the nation and seek gospel solutions. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us today on The Line of Fire. Michael Brown here. You know that we always tackle the controversies. You know we wade into the difficult issues. You know that we're willing to take risks, meaning we may take unpopular stances, but we're going to do it honoring the Lord. We're going to do it in humility and the fear of the Lord. We're going to do it with the principle of be quick to hear, be slow to anger, and be slow to speak. So we're doing our best to be quick to hear, to listen, to learn, to understand, to pray, to consider, and then to speak. As we continue to to seek the Lord and seek wisdom in terms of the great painful divisions in our country right now, we know that Satan wants to divide and destroy. We also know that there are times when you have to take a stance for what is right, and with that brings a certain division. But let the Lord be glorified. We will stand for what is right no matter what, but we'll do it in humility, in the fear of God, and in love for others, even love for our enemies. Now, I'm going to be as candid as I can. And if you're just tuning in, we're not taking calls today. I recorded this broadcast on June 11th to give you context. June 11th, and it's because we're coming to the last day of a three-day intensive class at the King's University on anti-Semitism, so I'm doing it by Zoom, but it's an all-day class, so these are pre-recorded shows, but absolutely relevant, just pre-recorded a few days ago, as we talk about race issues in America. I do not claim to have solutions for many of the social problems we face. I do know what's right and what's wrong. I I do know what is sin, and I do know that ultimately the gospel brings solutions. And as we come to Jesus, and as we come to one another, and as we come with open hearts, with open minds, with a desire to serve and bless, then we can be agents of reconciliation in the culture. And then through that, there are people, there are movers and shakers, there are political leaders, there are economic leaders, there are sociologists, there are different ones that can look at things and, and, and there can be constructive gospel-based solutions to problems in our society, right? But, but all, that, all that being said, we've got to start where we can, which is gospel. 
And one of the key things is brothers and sisters in the Lord sitting face to face together. Now, look, because I've been out of the United States so many times and ministered in so many different countries and so many different cultures, you learn that something that's totally acceptable in your culture is totally offensive in another culture and vice versa. I'll give you one example. There was an Orthodox Jew in Israel with his family was led to the Lord through Christian missionaries, very unusual situation. And they started to come under a flack for their faith, and verbal persecution, and fear of, of losing job or even being physically attacked. So, so they, they, they moved to the States. Some folks helped them. They moved to the States. Uh, and the, the, the rabbi, the father, uh, spoke very, very little English, very little English. And in our congregation, it's part of a Messianic Jewish congregation, but we didn't have any Israelis at the moment. Other times there have been a bunch of Israelis or fluent Hebrew speakers. But at that moment, there weren't. So it was up to me to communicate. And my spoken Hebrew back then, when was this? Late 80s, early 90s. It was much better than it is now because just haven't used it. But even then, I, I would miss things. I would we agree I'll meet you at a certain time and I heard wrong and I was an hour late or an hour early. It's like, oh boy. And then we thought we were treating them like kings and queens. Okay, you're going to be at this family's here for dinner here and this one for dinner next day and I'll be having lunch with you this day. And we find out that they feel that we're completely mistreating them, neglecting them. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, We're opening our homes and well, in their culture, Middle Eastern culture, much the the larger Arab world would would have this in its history, that if a if a guest comes to you unannounced, unexpected, it's like the king has come to your home, and you stop everything, and the family is there, and you feast, and you got, and you just that's what you do. Well, we were we thought we were doing what we were doing like a good thing in our world, but it made them feel neglected. Okay, then. We used to have our main service Saturday morning. So church is Sunday morning, Messianic congregation Saturday morning. And I knew that they were, they were going through financial hardship. So I thought, let's bless them. Let's just do something. Uh, I've preached sometimes, and you know, the church takes up an offering for the ministry. On the way out, someone will shake my hand. Uh, in the Pentecostal circles, they call it a Pentecostal handshake. Maybe in Baptist circles, they call it a Baptist handshake. I don't know. But they shake your hand, and they realize they just put money in your hand. So for some reason, they didn't put it in the offering. They wanted you to have it personally. And you look, there's a $5 bill. There's a $50 bill. They just kind of smile at you. But I spoke one time at my home congregation uh, in the 80s. And at the end of the service, I was wearing a jacket and tie. So I got my suit jacket on. And I remember Nancy had kind of this sweater, but it had pockets and something like that. And at the end of the service, the pastor said, let's bless Mike and Nancy. I just bless them personally. And I want you to just go up and put money in their hand and put money in their pockets, whatever. So I was a few hundred dollars, but it looked, I mean, it was crazy. It was money. It was a, it was a funny thing. And we really needed it then. We, we had some real financial needs. But it was kind of comical. You know, you walk out of the service with, you know, who's going to church and thinking about money, right? So it was, it was a cute thing. And, and it, was, it, was, it was fun. It was family. You know, we, were all, we got a laugh out of it. <laughs> Our daughter's like, what in the world? So they were little. So. Anyway, I thought in this Shabbat service, we're going to do this for this brother. Danny was his name. 
Let's bless him. So I told everybody, go up. I want you to put money in his hand. I want you to stick money in his, his coat pocket, his shirt, just, you know. He said afterwards, it was the most humiliating experience of his life. That you wouldn't even do that to a poor beggar in his culture. The level of insult. It's like, oh, God. I thought, great, wise, Dr. Michael Brown. I thought we were blessing the guy. It ended up being one of the most humiliating experiences. Oh, not one of, the most, the most humiliating experience of his life. <clears throat> so, friends, don't assume everyone has the same upbringing. Don't assume everyone has the same cultural background. Don't assume everybody sees the world the same way. Listen to each other. Talk to each other. It's so easy to say, well, you're just wrong. Well, some things are right and wrong, but other things are not just right and wrong. It's a matter of background or, or perspective. All right. So I asked on Facebook, let's do this. Many, many friends of mine, pastors, leaders, they want to stand against racism. They want to stand against injustice, but they will not stand with the Black Lives Matter movement because of its radical ideology. It's, it's pro-queer ideology. It's anti-nuclear family ideology. It's anti-Israel ideology and other things. They won't stand with it. <clears throat> What would you say to them? How can they be a true friend without compromising their values? So we got a lot of responses. Malik said this, seek justice and restitution on our behalf. <clears throat> Understand and research what systemic racism is and how it infiltrates our society. Call this evil out by name, white supremacy. If we can attack this evil with the true love of God, then we will achieve equality. If you don't agree with BLM as an organization, that's fine, but the phrase is important. Black lives matter just as much as anyone else. If that phrase offends you, then you need to ask yourself why. So here's Malik in, in, in speaking in reasoned tones and speaking about the love of God and seeking justice and so on, but speaking of something called white supremacy. Now, many of you listening and watching who are white will say, what is he talking about white supremacy? We, we have a neighborhood. We all get along. We work together. I'm a business, but I'm a white business person. I've hired and raised people up equally, regardless of, of race or ethnicity, for, for decades. Our church is multicultural, and we serve everyone the same. What's he talking about? Well, that's where you have your conversation. When I hear white supremacy, this is what I hear, and this is why I reject that term. Oh, well, when I hear white supremacy, this is what I mean by it. This is why I use the term. Have the conversation. Because right now, when words come up, everyone's polarized. Everyone's polarized. Let the world be polarized, but let the church talk things through. And then at the end, you, you might say, hey, I categorically differ with your perspective. Or you might say, hey, I've learned a lot from you. Uh, here's what Shaniqua said. I agree with you to not align to the BLM movement. I believe it's anti-God to its core. I also believe that black people are not as oppressed as they think. I do believe racism exists individually, but I have a hard time believing it exists systematically or systemically, excuse me. I'm a Christian before I'm anything else. We should always handle sin issues with Jesus as the cure because he is the only cure. Uh, Rodney posted this. Thank you for those comments also, Shaniqua. Satire of the viral tweet. Imagine you just lost the second son of your three sons to violence. You were giving a eulogy explaining what the recent loss meant and how special the child was. And then when you sit down, your third child asks, why didn't you say those nice things when they killed my other brother? 
When BLM protests the deaths of some but not others, then it seems like BLM has favorites. When BLM ignores the black-on-black crimes that result in many more deaths of our youth, many find it hard to believe it's about injustice. And BLM's voice for change is silent when they refuse to hear the voice of the voiceless. Abortions in black communities where the Center of Disease Control reports that nearly half of all pregnancies among black women end in abortion, 472 per 1,000. People are only saying all lives matter because Black Lives Matter fails to acknowledge all black lives. Hmm. Then uh, edit. I hope to qualify this. My mom is Mexican. My father is black. I look more Hispanic, but grew up with experiencing ignorance for either speaking Spanish or looking Mexican. My mom shared about some of her family disowning her when she married my father. My siblings look more black, although none of us are black skinned and older brother experienced more racism than me. Uh, Let's look at a comment by Samuel. Simply speak out against injustice. Preachers who preach the Bible properly and understand social issues should already be doing this. Also recognize that Black Lives Matter is both an organization and a slogan with a meaning greater than the Black Lives Matter organization. I have no problem saying Black Lives Matter, and I have no problem stating that I do not align with the Black Lives Matter organization. That's it. I appreciate these comments, friends. And some of you are listening, nodding your heads. I agree. Some of you are listening, saying, where are these people coming from? Some of you listen, say, Dr. Brown, why even talk about this? How How can we not talk about this right now as the church, as God's people? Are we just going to have our own perspective and divide from others who don't see things the way do, we do? Or are we going to question, well, how can you love Jesus and have this perspective? How can you love Jesus and not have this perspective? Well, then let's find out. Let's sit and talk. Let's learn from each other. We say, we need solutions. Let's start with hearing each other, learning from each other, honoring each other, praying for each other. And then out of that, we can come up with all kinds of amazing solutions. But this is where we start. In his give us strength to always do what's right. It's the line of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, folks, for joining us today on the line of fire. Michael Brown, here to honor the Lord and serve you. Not to take sides. Not to prove that I'm righteous, not to prove that I'm woke, but to do my best to honor the Lord and serve you and help us think issues through. It's always challenging to to think outside of your comfort zone, outside of your own life experience, but it's healthy for us to do so as the body. Let the world scream one at another. Let the world, so to say, throw rocks at each other. But let's not do that as God's people. If you just tuned in, the show was pre-recorded on June 11th. So that gives you context. So just a few days back, but if there's been breaking news since then or breaking news today, we're not commenting on it. This is the last of my three days teaching a three-day class at the King's University in Dallas, Texas. We're doing it by way of Zoom. And then God willing, back with you live again tomorrow. Okay. I asked for comments on my Facebook page from my black brothers and sisters in the Lord to speak to white brothers and sisters who say, and, and, and other non-blacks, who say, I cannot stand with the Black Lives Matter movement because of its radical ideology. I will not bow down to the mob and to threats, but I want to show clear solidarity with the concept that Black Lives Matter, and I want to stand with my brothers and sisters who are hurting and and who are concerned, and I want to show solidarity, and I want to stand for justice. So what would you say to those people? So we got 
hundreds and hundreds of comments, many of them so constructive and helpful. Uh, there was only one that I spotted where the person called me a racist for posting this and said, you're canceled. <laughs> I'm, I'm blotting you out. So, you know, that got pulled and, and the person blocked. You know, you don't do that kind of thing. But we allowed otherwise just have at it. So this is no profanity. Have at it. Share your views and make them known. So there's a lengthy post from Terrence that I want to read to you. Three things. Number one, when 99% of the black people I know say Black Lives Matter, we're not talking about some organization formed a few years ago in response to one killing, which seems to be the consensus thought of many white people. So in other words, many of us here, Black Lives Matter, we associate it with this radical, even Marxist organization that we oppose. All right. So when when Terrence is saying that his black friends, when they said Black Lives Matter, 99% of them are not referring to the organization. Many non-whites, the moment they hear that, they're thinking of the organization. So this is, this is good to know. Would you agree? He said, talk to 100 people and realize that Black Lives Matter is the idea that law enforcement cannot unjustly murder a black person and get away with it. It's the statement that we feel needs to be told to every law enforcement officer that applies the law and their authority unfairly to black people. They need to hear it even if you don't. So what Terrence is saying is please proclaim that Black Lives Matter and forget the organization. Please show your solidarity with black brothers and sisters who are concerned that there can still be injustices under the law. Remember that lynchings and things like that were not that far back in our history, that segregation, not that far back in our history, that other things more recent are, are still painful wounds that are easily uncovered. So what he's saying is recognize that, proclaim, yeah, of course, amen, Black Lives Matter, but forget about the organization when you say that. Okay, good word. Then he says this, because you're, you're thinking, well, why don't all lives matter? Now, one other post that we read a little earlier made this interesting comment, that many come back with all lives matter because they feel within the Black Lives Matter movement that they're not saying all black lives matter. Blacks killed by blacks don't matter. Blacks killed by abortion don't matter. So let's say all lives matter or all black lives matter. So Terrence says something very interesting here. We've heard the analogies. Cancer awareness supporters don't need to hear all diseases matter. And save the whales groups don't need to hear all sea life matters. And when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he didn't need to say, he, we, he didn't need to hear, blessed is everyone. We know it was 100% legal from 1619 to 1964 to legally discriminate against people of color in every way possible. That was accepted in society. Though some laws have changed, not all hearts have. The spirit of racism is still in every industry in this country, and lawsuits and statistics and social media prove it. So don't rebut with all lives matter when we're focusing on the lives affected by the residuals of 350 years of legalized systemic racism. Now, obviously... Not all of America had slavery. Much of America opposed slavery. People died fighting against slavery. Not all of America had segregation. Many people opposed segregation. Nonetheless, in America overall, beginning with the colonies, yes, there was systemic racism in different ways where, where slaves, for example, were, were looked at as, as uh, that they were inferior 
So you keep their bodies enslaved, but you can liberate their souls, get them saved. But they are, it is an inferior race or it is a cursed race. These were some of the views that were held to. Therefore, slavery was justifiable. And so you had various things, Jim Crow, segregation. So all, all that to say that Terrence's point is saying black lives matter is, is not saying other lives don't matter. But it's saying, would you agree that they do matter? Because we feel like you think they don't. So I'd never thought that. Okay, well, then let people know. Of course you affirm that. Of course you affirm Black Lives Matter while distancing yourself from the movement. Number three, he said, if you eat bad and don't work out for 20 years, then decide to get in shape. It won't happen overnight. It'll take time. America's eaten bad for 350 years, then decided to get some areas healthy. Race is one area. We see signs of things getting better, but there's still work to do. Stop acting like racism magically went away with the civil rights movement. Doesn't help. As Christians, start programs for these kids in disadvantaged neighborhoods, many of whom have parents who have been generationally victims of the biased systems in this country. Be Christians. See the need. Meet the need in minority areas. Remember, white men who weren't racist still got economic advantages for generations when black men couldn't. So that privilege existed, and their families generationally benefited, even if they weren't racist themselves. Now, use your heart, time, funds to help those who are victims instead of beneficiaries who 1900s through now were privileged. I may have that, maybe a word missing at the end there. So I, I found these comments from, from Terrence lengthy to be very, very helpful and to put things in context that I think others can understand and say, okay, well, what can I do? You, uh, should I feel guilty? Why should you feel guilty? If you haven't done something wrong, why should you feel guilty? I don't feel guilty for being white. I don't feel guilty for being a male. I don't feel, why should I feel guilty? Unless I did something for which I should feel guilty. But do I recognize needs? Do I recognize discrepancies? Do I recognize the legacy of the treatment of black Americans in our history? Yeah, I, I recognize that, that there are things that remain today as a result of that. And there are ongoing things that can still come up that need to be addressed. And I've, I've had friends, enough friends, who have multiracial families that tell me about the struggles. And Craig Keener on Monday, so he's married to an African woman, and they, they have a, a, an African son or, or a, a, you know, a, a black son raising together. And so <clears throat> what do they experience? We have friends that, that uh, first adopted a black child, a white couple, then had their own children. And said it's shocking the different treatments that their kids got based on skin color. We had others on that were talking about adoption, that it's cheaper to adopt a black baby in America than a white baby. It's just, just the reality. Look, when, when I was growing up, my dad was a very liberal Democrat. Now, he would not recognize the party today with some of its stances. But the first organ teacher that I had, my sister and I, she was about 10, I was about six, so six or seven. The first organ teacher that we had, no, actually started a little earlier, like five and eight, whatever. He was an openly gay man. And he and his partner would come to our house and stay for dinner, do the, do the back-to-back lessons and then stay for dinner, very commonly. I grew up with that, okay? Then the next organ teacher, after him, it was Russ and Ed. Ed was a beautician. Russ had been married, left, left, one had been married, left wife and children. We found that subsequently and moved in together. It was my first organ teacher. 
then the second organ feature, and I'm not comparing skin color with homosexuality, I'm just giving you my history, was a black man married to a white woman. And this is now the early to mid-60s. And I remember my father telling me how terribly ostracized they were and how utterly wrong it was. He could not imagine and believe, this was Long Island in New York, he could not imagine and believe a society that, that would reject this couple. And he said they lost family members, friends turned against them because it was an interracial marriage. And, you know, many of our states or all our states, whatever, don't know the exact stats, this was illegal until not that long ago, interracial marriage. But I grew up where, you know, my dad was, was outraged over this. And when I was in kindergarten, so before we moved to Long Island, New York City, he may have been my best friend or one of them. It's hard to remember it back that far. Was was a, a young a black kid named Pierre. So we were like five, six years old. We hung out together. And uh, I remember one day after school, I went back with him. I walked back with him to, to his apartment complex and came back home a little later. My parents were concerned, like, where were you? These are just the days you walked to school. You know, it was just the way it was, you know? I walked to the school nearby. And and uh, I remember telling him, and, and, and that's when I found out that where he lived was a little more dangerous area. I didn't know that. But, but friends, I, I still grew up where I grew up. I, I still grew up in the suburbs of Long Island, a white community primarily, and, and mainly a white school and so on. And, and we have our backgrounds. We, so I don't feel guilty, but wherever I can be a tool to help and solve a problem and minister grace, and above all, be a believer in the midst of it, that's what we do. So pray these things through, give them thought, and say, Lord, how can I be part of the solution in the midst of this racially divided society?